Well, my name is Charlie. Uh, as Tim said, I'm the associate pastor at Oaks Parish, which is a sister church of Ascension. We're in southeast Portland. I've been there for about three years, and uh, I've had the honor, privilege of coming out uh, to worship with you guys at least a couple times a year for the last three years now. So those of you who have gotten to know me, it's good to see you. Uh, some new faces, uh, I'd love to meet you, give you a distance elbow, and uh, I look forward to getting to know you as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot going on in our culture right now, right? Um, we're out here in masks, apart from each other in a field because there's a global pandemic, but we just can't wrap our minds around. Um, there's a lot going on in our culture with social tension between ethnic groups, specifically between the black community and, and the white community, the white community and the black community. There's a lot of tension going around with um, us trying to rethink the structures of our society, structures of power, maybe of class, maybe of privilege. These are all things that guest preachers are not supposed to point out in the first 30 seconds of a sermon in a new church. But we're in a unique time. You know, during this time, there has been a lot of talk about rights. About rights. What does it mean to have rights? Now, I think that rights are good. Every single one of us is created in God's image. Every single person here is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Every single person here is valuable, loved by God, should be loved and respected by others. But our talk about rights in our culture for a long time now has gone beyond that. I think that in our culture, going out on a limb here, but I think that our culture has taken things, taken conversations, thoughts, teachings about our rights to a level beyond our basic human rights as people created into God's image into the world of our right to be autonomous beings. I think that there is a gospel, if you will, a good news, a path to flourishing proclaimed in our culture that says that Goodness, life, is found in autonomy. Personal autonomy. Family autonomy. Social group autonomy. Church autonomy. Economic autonomy. Let me read you this passage. This is not from the Bible. This is uh, not from Shakespeare. It's from another important document. Maybe you can guess it. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's, you heard that before? So it's another thing guest preachers are not supposed to read in sermons in the first couple minutes. It's from the Declaration of Independence. I was reading this this week and I saw something I'd never seen before. If you go to the, pull up a PDF or a picture uh, of the original document or you can go to archives.org, pull it up. The, words, the word rights is capitalized. 
the word life, the word liberty, the word happiness, all capitalized. Now, grammatically, that's not, we don't just capitalize random words. The, right, the, the authors of this document were making a statement. This is not just, this is people endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, capital L, liberty, capital L, and the pursuit of happiness, capital H. Our society is founded upon this idea that every single person has the right given by God to pursue these things. And I, please don't hear me wrong. I think that's wonderful. But as I look around in our culture, as I hear debates about maybe something like simple, like should I wear a mask or not wear a mask, all the way to things huge and complicated like What's my relationship with my neighbor of a different race supposed to be like? I think that we've taken ideas about rights to levels that I know I myself, maybe I'm new, I'm only 36, but I've never taken them to these kinds of levels before in public conversation. I think that our culture is in a mess that we, I know in our lifetime, my lifetime, and I know I'm young, but we've never been in a mess like this before. And we keep looking to rights to save us. And I'm not sure it's working. Whew, guest preacher, coming in hot. Um, this is not a political message. This is a gospel message. So let's cut right to it. Where is the church supposed to be in our cultural moment? Where is the church supposed to be in all of our cultural and personal disagreements and divisions around rights? Where are the people of God? What is our voice supposed to be? At what point should or shouldn't we protest? And if we did, what would that even look like? Maybe some of us already are. Maybe some of us aren't but where are we supposed to be where is the place of the church in our cultural moment where it seems like everything is falling apart and from my facebook wall to my conversation with the people across the street to my conversations with my extended family it is clear that culturally we are all so committed to going our own way where's the church well, in the New Testament, uh, we find Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. There's actually two of them. We're just looking at the first one today, 1 Corinthians. And what's amazing is even though this kind of cultural environment is new for many of us, it's not new to the world. And there was something going on in the church in Corinth, which was different than what we're experiencing now, but not so different. And a lot of the fundamental troubles that we have today in society were also in Corinth. So let's take a moment. Let's consider what Paul had to say to the church in Corinth. Because I'm willing to bet that we, as God spoke through Paul to Corinth, God has something for us today. Now the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians starts out 
And Paul says that he's writing to a church that has been called together to be saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus. But then just a few verses later, he says, no, nah, no, I'm paraphrasing. I know you've been called together, but I've heard that there are certain divisions among you. And then he goes on for the next 12 chapters to highlight, to point out, to address various divisions that had occurred in the Corinthian church. Now, the church in Corinth uh, was not so big that people didn't know each other. They were meeting in homes, meeting outside in places like this in nice days. These are people who were doing life together, and they had become divided. This church was on the verge of a total split meltdown. And they weren't just divided over one thing. They were divided over all kinds of things. They were divided over which teacher should be their their, their regular uh, teacher that they learn from. They were all different. One guy likes Paul. One guy likes Apollos. There's a whole, there's another guy that they liked. Nobody can agree on who should do the teaching on Sundays. They were divided over not just uh, the, the teaching, but they were divided over issues of class and social status. There were rich people and there were poor people. There were noble people and there were slaves. They were divided um, <clears throat> over uh, moral issues, um, even cultural institutions. Who can I get married to? Who should I marry? Who can I have sex with? Who can I spend time with? Who can I date? What is my own sexual identity? Um, they were divided over um, all kinds of things. And across the divisions... There were groups and factions that were bent on asserting their rights. And it was splitting the church. What's crazy is that even though they had these, what we would maybe think of as giant issues, giant complex issues like human sexuality and marriage, um, it's even something that in our culture we're still trying to figure out today. The issue that really blew up that almost ended it, that Paul spends three chapters working with them on, was something that seems a little ridiculous, maybe, to us. The issue was whether or not people could eat meat. <laughs> that amidst all these other things the Corinthian church was divided about, they were all messed up on each other. I, I imagine you can infer just by the seriousness of Paul's tone. These people were probably screaming at each other, writing bad things on people's Facebook walls, retweeting things, not talking to their mother-in-law anymore, all kinds of things over, can we eat meat or not eat meat? And it seems so silly. Good thing in our day, we never argue about silly things like that. <clears throat> now the issue about this meat thing, it's more complicated than just meat or no meat. Corinth was a port city. And it was on a narrow strip of land in between two large bodies of water. And there was a port on the east side and a port on the west side that went to two different bodies of water. If I was good at geography, I'd name them for you and demonstrate my geographical knowledge, but I don't have that. Uh, 
So people were coming in, sailors, seafaring people were, were docking in Corinth from over here, also from over here, and Corinth had this big marketplace. And like a lot of port cities today, all the way back to the ancient world, Corinth had all kinds of entertainment, all kinds of distractions, all kinds of ways for people from out of town to come in and blow off steam. One theologian commentator that I read said that Corinth in the first century was like New York, L.A., and Las Vegas all packed into one little area. Anything that you wanted, you can get in Corinth. Now, downtown in the Corinth city square, there was a temple to Apollo, and then there were like nine other temples. There's all kinds of... Apollo was the big one, but there were all these different pagan shrines and temples. And um, so as livestock came into the city from ships, came into the downtown area. Oh, also in the middle of town, there was a big altar right in the middle of town. And then next to the altar was another big stone where people would get up and they would give, uh, give lectures and talks, almost like a TED Talk kind of thing or a podcast. There were professional rhetoricians that would come in. So you can go into the city of Corinth and worship whoever you wanted and hear from whoever you wanted, because there's a different speaker every day. And when you go in, even something as simple as going to get a bite to eat, all of this meat that was coming in and being processed in the city, because there were all of these temples, and because it was the altar was right there in the center, if you went to go buy a pork shoulder or a brisket or a hamburger, chances are that piece of meat came from an animal that was just sacrificed to some pagan god right around the corner, or maybe out here in front of everybody. So in order to just go to the market and buy a piece of meat to take home and barbecue, you are walking past some professional cultural preacher proclaiming a message that wasn't the message you were hearing in church. And you were buying meat that had just been sacrificed to a pagan god. Now, one group within the Corinthian church was saying, we are out. We are vegetarians now, no more meat. I will not associate with those pagan festivals. I will not associate with that pagan teaching. I am a Christian, and I do not participate with that stuff. And they were really passionate about it. Now, another group in the Church of Corinth was saying, we are free in Christ. Christ has set us free, and there is one God. And all these false gods are just false gods. It's just a piece of meat. The culture is, is speaking out against our one true God, Yahweh. Who cares? They always have. Whoa. Let's just, just go buy whatever you want. Come to my house for a barbecue. And it, both groups had an element of truth in what they were believing. But they were just at each other's throats about this. So Paul, being a great peacemaker, writes a long email, the book of 1 Corinthians. And he clarifies the issue. And even today, reading how Paul explains what's going on with this meat thing, we can see it's really complicated. Here's Paul's answer. He says, all right, people, on one hand, you're right. It's just meat. There's nothing special about the pork shoulder. We're free of Christ. You can eat it. But you have a right to eat it if you want. But on the other hand, there's something more important than your rights. That piece of meat was sacrificed to a pagan god, and many of you had come from those pagan temples and given your life to Christ. And for some people in your church, you can't eat the meat without it just wrecking your conscience. So if you have a neighbor that can't do it without feeling guilty, 
Give up your right to do it. It's not worth hurting each other. It's not worth confusing people who are new in their faith. Furthermore, Paul goes on to say, and we see some of this in our passage today, you can go to these pagan temples and buy meat, go, go to the Apollo restaurant and buy whatever you want and eat it. And you might not bow down to the idol of Apollo, but idolatry would still take place. Because you have idolatry going on in your heart and it's your negative attitude towards your neighbor in this whole church argument. Your me first mindset is coming out in this meat controversy. And even though you may be justified in going and taking part, your heart is coming out and it's not love. So he tells this to the people of Corinth. And he gets right to the climax of his argument right here in these verses in verse 10. And here's what's amazing about it. Paul, in his address to the divided, me first, I am committed to my rights above everything else, church that was about to fall apart. He explains what's going on theologically and then he draws their eyes, their ears, their imaginations to something very important. Let me read it again. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And I speak to you as sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Right in the middle of this argument, when Paul could have been a good rhetorician, good TED Talker podcaster, just like the people in Corinth were used to. He gets right to the point in the argument when he can just slam the meat eaters and the vegetarians for both getting it wrong. And he diverts his focus to the Lord's table. He makes a stop in his meat argument to say, wait a second, you're sensible people. Think about the Lord's table. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not participation in the blood of Christ? This bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? There's one cup, one bread, you're one people. And then he pauses for a moment and goes right to talking about meat. Now that parenthetical statement, if you will, that we read about the Lord's table should stop us today in our tracks. Just as I'm convinced it stopped these first century Corinthian readers. Listen to the truth that Paul is proclaiming here. He says, folks, you're reasonable. Think about it. The cup that we drink, is it not participation in Christ's blood? Now that word Paul uses for participation is koinonia. Maybe you've heard it before. It's kind of a popular Greek word that gets thrown around. Some churches are named koinonia, or they have a class called koinonia. 
Koinonia means fellowship, participation, fellowship. It's also where we get the word communion. That's why we call the Lord's table the communion table. It is a picture of rich intermingling of persons. Paul says, you who are divided, because you're all tied to your rights and what you can and can't eat, consider this thing that we eat and drink together. When you come to the Lord's table, you are participating, fellowshipping, getting all mixed up in as one body, the blood and the body of Christ. Now, if you start to think about that, that's a pretty graphic image. To participate, to fellowship with Christ's blood, isn't it? You know, Corinth had that big altar right in the middle of town. They were always sacrificing animals. This whole idea of this bloody idea probably would have been familiar to Corinthian people. Blood is associated with worship. And Paul draws our attention to the blood of Christ. And it's not blood that's being poured out over here uh, before it gets to the market, before you decide to go get it. This is blood that is characterizing our fellowship. That's graphic. You are participating in his blood. That means it's not that the sacrifice happened before and it's you're just getting a pork shoulder. By partaking of this table... You're getting all wrapped up in it. Also, biblically, uh, in Hebrew culture, which Paul is writing out of, the blood of an animal or a person represented their life. In Hebrew culture, there was an idiom, the blood is the life. And that's why kosher diets, they don't eat blood. When Paul says you are participating in Christ's blood, in a Hebrew worldview, that would be you are participating in his life. When Paul says, you are participating in his body with the bread. Christians, from, from, from the very beginning, it's the bread that was broken. You're participating in Christ's death. So in a culture where what people ate was the means by which they picked sides on which, how they were going to hold on to their rights today to assert themselves against other people and be divided because they knew what the right way was. Paul says, turn your eyes away from that meal and turn them to this meal. Because while the culture says that flourishing comes from autonomy, the gospel says that flourishing comes from dependence, fellowship, participation. Well, on one side, we hear voices and rhetoric of, and celebrations of take what you can take for yourself. Over here, we have come participate in the life of the one who left the Father's right hand to give up everything to come and be one of us, even to the point of death. Over here, we hear, we hear the message of come and commune, come wrapped, get wrapped up in the brokenness of the cross. So the Corinthian culture said your autonomy is what steers your life of flourishing. And Paul says to the Corinthians, no, it's your dependence, your participation in Christ that leads to flourishing. Now, I wonder if there's a message for us here today. Our culture holds autonomy dear. It's fundamental. It's capital L-L-H. <laughs> 
life, liberty, happiness. That's the ultimate goal. But I wonder if there's another way. I wonder if we can use the rights that God has given us in this country we are blessed to live in. I wonder if we could take a hold of those, not in order to let them define our course of action today and tomorrow and be my ultimate end, but I wonder if we could take a hold of those rights in order to come to the table and lay them down to free up our hands to receive. The Lord's Supper is a feast of dependence. And Paul says you can't come to the Lord's table and also fellowship with idols in your heart. One meal dispels the other. So here we are on this beautiful farm on a Sunday morning in the midst of a giant cultural crisis in our society. Here we are as individuals who are blessed by God, who are gifted by God, who have been given wonderful rights and freedoms. Now today, people of God, would you receive the Lord's invitation to find your identity, to find your flourishing, to find your fellowship, not in what you have, not in what you've been given, but in the one who has been given for you. Would you come and participate in the body and blood of Christ? Not just with your hands and your mouth, but in your heart. He has a better feast for you. Let's pray. Our Father, we um, are here before you and we know that your word is a, uh, it's living and powerful and it's a two-edged sword, it cuts and it heals and it never goes out and returns void. And Lord, these things are too wonderful for us. Uh, and Jesus is too wonderful for us. But because of the gospel, because of grace, you have come and you have made life in Christ possible by his death and resurrection. And Lord, in a mysterious way that we don't fully understand, you have made coming to this table in faith a way to receive grace, to be caught up in, to fellowship with the death of Christ and the life of Christ. So, Lord, here, out here in this field, in worship, we offer you our rights. We offer you our opinions, our freedoms. And we ask that Jesus would become our all in all for the life of the world. In his name, amen.